Uh, Like I said, John chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 21, God's word says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as a father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Excuse me. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for Jesus who has made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. We thank you that right now, He is interceding on our behalf, that he brings our prayers to the Father, and we pray through him. God, we thank you, uh, first of all, for this gorgeous day that you have given us to gather in your name, to worship you, to hear from your word today. Lord, we pray that this passage would stir our affections for Jesus, that if there are some in this room that don't know Christ, that they would come to saving faith in him today. God, for those of us who are in Christ, that we would be spurred on to take the message of the gospel into all the world, that we would care for each other as good shepherds here in the local church. And God, above all, that we would magnify and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. All of God's people said, amen. All right, a few weeks back, we we asked the question, whose child are you? Just a few chapters ago in as we've gone through the gospel of John, as we ask that question, as Jesus and the Jews wrestled with the reality of, of their paternal kind of connection, did their actions do this? Did they convey that they were really children of God or were they descendants of the great deceiver, uh, the devil? Today, we can ask the question, whose voice will you follow or, or whose voice will you listen 
The shepherding picture that, that Jesus paints would have impacted the hearers on a number of levels. Primarily, these listeners would have recalled images of shepherds keeping watch over their flocks. And historically and geographically, shepherding in this region would follow kind of dry and wet seasons. So in, in the wet season, shepherds would take their, their, their uh, herds out into the hills, letting them freely graze, and then using a unique shepherd's call to pull their flock back towards them. In the dry season, as naturally growing uh, food would become scarce in the hills, the shepherds would retreat back to the villages and place their sheep in sheep pens, sheep folds, where they would feed the sheep. Oftentimes, multiple shepherds, they would share a common kind of sheep fold where they would keep their different herds together. They would place them in the same pen. In the morning, they each had the shepherds would come and they had a unique call that they would call their sheep out from uh, the pen. They're calling out, drawing out their particular flock. And so the hearers of Jesus's words would have these images in their mind as Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. And then these shepherds would take the sheep uh, to graze or to feed them from their storehouse. In, in all these instances, th- this is what I want to make clear. The sheep know the unique call and voice of their master or their shepherd, their own shepherd, and would come when he would call to them. Moreover, so we have kind of this physical picture of what's going on here, but also, also Old Testament pictures are probably filling the minds of these religious leaders. It's because the Old Testament is full of shepherding images. Insofar as the godly leaders of Israel were known as good shepherds, the Lord himself often viewed as a good shepherd of his people. Uh, Ezekiel 34 is, is a massive prophetic text that I believe Jesus is alluding to within this passage. I want to encourage you this week in your personal devotions, read through that text and then read again John chapter 10 and see the parallels uh, within that prophecy that's fulfilled in Christ in uh, chapter 10. Ezekiel 34 grants vivid imagery of the difference between the poor leadership of Israel's human priests and kings and that of Yahweh or the Lord himself. God is viewed as the good shepherd and looks forward in that section of scripture to the coming good shepherd who will gather his people once and for all. And so we're brought back to this question, whose voice will you listen to? Which brings us to our main idea. Jesus is the promised good shepherd. Jesus is the promised good shepherd. John 10, verse 7, 14, and 15. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep or the gate. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the promised good shepherd who has come to call his own. His sheep know his voice and he does all that he can. He says he lays down his life for his sheep. He does all that he can to save them and to keep them. Jesus is anticipated again back in uh, Ezekiel 34. We'll look at verses 22 to 24 from Ezekiel 34. The prophet says this, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be, be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. 
He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Remember now, in the timing, in the timing of Scripture, I want to explain this to you. Ezekiel's prophecy is actually written after the reign of King David and before the earthly coming of Jesus. So who could possibly be referred to when scripture says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. It must refer to a descendant of King David, which Jesus fulfills. And Matthew's gospel in particular, the beginning part, there's a genealogy. I always love personally, like in my annual reading plan, when I come to genealogies, because that's kind of my catch-up period, because I usually get behind. So I get to a genealogy, and it's like, ah, I'll just skip past that. I can catch up in my reading, right? But Matthew's is incredible. Actually, all the genealogies are important, but Matthew's is especially (laughs) important because it makes this connection. It connects Jesus to who? David. It connects Jesus to King David. There's a promise made to David that one would come, that would reign. And so Matthew's gospel goes to great lengths to make this connection. And the greater context of Ezekiel 34 conveys that that for the most part, the Jewish leaders are the ones who are preying on God's flock. They are the leaders who take advantage of the Lord's sheep, as we'll find as we kind of travel through Ezekiel 34 in parallel with John 10. We find then that Israel has been, our first point, they've been plagued by posers, by fakes, by counterfeits. Now, Context is important. Again, as we preach through verse by verse through the text of John, it gets a little bit disjointed. Where are we at in the story? This is connected to chapter 9. Chapter 9 was the healing of who? We learned last week, the blind man, right? And the blind man caught a lot of flack for associating with Jesus, the one who has healed him. In fact, if we go back to verse 34 in chapter 9, the Jewish leaders are coming down on this blind man, and they say this, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And this is important, and they cast him out. They cast out the blind man. The ungodly religious leaders have Zero authority to cast people out of the synagogue, especially in this point in time, the son of God, Jesus has healed this blind man. The blind man's associating this healing with Jesus and offenses in a sense is giving a, an apologetic for Christ. And the reason why he is proven to be without sin, because God listened to him and healed this blind man. And now the ungodly religious leaders who have zero authority to cast people out of the synagogue, especially with Jesus present and healing. They do that, right? They are posers of authority. They are deceivers, fakers. Like back in my, in my school days, so I grew up, you know, mid to late nineties. Uh, I don't know if the craze out here in Kentucky was skateboarding, but where I grew up in Southern California, skateboarding was huge. Skaters. Skater culture was blowing up in the nineties. Kids were riding skateboards everywhere. And skaters, you knew skaters because they dressed a certain way. Okay, skaters wore big, gigantic, baggy pants. Their shoes had these big old giant tongues on them in the front, big old kind of bulbous looking shoes, and they wore oversized t-shirts. It was cool to dress like that if you were a skater. And other people realized, I remember in school, they realized if they dressed like skaters too, they thought they were cool. 
And we would call them kind of this negative term. We would say, you know what? You're a poser. That was the term we would say. You're not really a skater. You're just a poser. Man, that one hurt when you got called a poser. Right? What does that mean? You're not the real thing. You're faking. These religious leaders portray a certain image. They appear to be real religious, but underneath all the outward garb, they are wolves in sheep's clothing, caring, I want you to hear this, caring little for God's people and much about their image. Truly, they are emulating their father as Jesus condemned them of just a few chapters ago, the father of lies, the devil. John 10, 1, and then skipping to verse 10 says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man, hear this, is a thief and a robber. Then Jesus says this later on, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What is behind, so we have these religious leaders who are posers, they're fakers, they're deceivers. What's behind though this sin and deception? I'll say this, it's the greatest poser. His name is Satan. He's named here as the thief. And he comes with one purpose in mind, to rob the Lord of his glory. This has been his mission since the fall, since the fall of humanity, since his initial deception You see, he was once a great worshiper of God, but sought the glory to be all his own and led multitudes, scripture says, of heavenly beings away from God. And he deceived humanity in the garden on that day of darkness and shame. And he continues to this day to steal and kill and destroy. Ezekiel 34, seven to 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds, they've done this. They fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, right? They we're getting all fat and puffed up. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The posers cannot deceive God's true sheep forever because the good shepherd has come to rescue. That brings us to our second point. God pursues his sheep. We are pursued by Jesus. We are pursued by God. Did you know that God isn't just issuing a general call in hopes that a few will respond? He's sitting there in heaven, crossing his fingers like, I hope some of them choose me. God is purposeful, intentional, and effectual in his calling of his sheep. They know his voice, Jesus says, and they respond to him. God gets his desired outcome. And because of that, he gets all the glory. Verses two to four, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It's purposeful. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before him. The sheep follow him for they know what? His voice. 
God is intentionally called to you. You have heard his voice and have responded to him as the good shepherd. It's no accident that you've been brought into the sheepfold. Understand this. I want you to hear this. God wants you. God wants you in the sheepfold, in the pen with him. Think about the illustration that Jesus is using. The sheep are are pinned in with other shepherd's sheep, and the only way that they are separated is by the calling of their shepherd. Not all the sheep will respond, though. Only the ones who recognize the voice of their particular shepherd. God wants you and calls to you so that you may hear and respond to him. The question again to us now is this. As we hear the word of the Lord, will you listen to his voice? Will you respond to Jesus? Will you walk towards his calling of you? The prophet foretold of this. Again, Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. God's not just sitting on the sidelines. He's seeking out a people for himself and he's calling to them. Will you listen? Will you respond? Will you answer the call? Right? You're not second rate in God's family. You're not second class citizens. You are part of the sheepfold called in. God wants you. It reminds me of the old uh, military recruitment posters. He had Uncle Sam on the poster, right? And he had a finger pointing out like that. And it said what? I want you. God is pointing at you right now through his son, Jesus. And he's saying, I want you. Will you answer the call? Now, a point of application for followers of Jesus we are, we are called and entrusted. We are called to obey, to go forth, calling out, proclaiming the good news, to call out the sheep of God, to call out Christ's followers. So our application is this, pursue the lost with the words of life. We have a role to play. The Lord has entrusted this work to the church, the bride of Christ, to continue his work of calling out from the darkness all those sheep who are astray. Romans 10, 14, and 15, I think, captures this beautifully. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you know who that's talking to? You, Christian. You hear the word preach and you close your ears. You think that's your job, Pastor Keith. No, it's all of our job to preach, to call out the lost sheep wandering out in the wilderness, in the darkness. We pursue the lost sheep with the words of life, the good news of Jesus. We have no idea. I have no idea when I stand up here on Sunday, who's going to respond? Who's going to listen? My task and my role is to do this. Issue the call. Come to him, all who are thirsty and heavy laden. Find rest in your Savior, Jesus. Speak the words of truth. This is a warning. Stop letting moments pass you by. Stop. On Friday, I was invited. I love, there's an awesome ministry that I've been invited to become a part of over the past few years. 
and I get to go around uh, to visit different, uh, it's like a Christian club in the local schools. They call it Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but it's not just about athletes. It's basically a Christian club in the local schools. They invite pastors to come in and preach the gospel to these kids, right? Yes, please. On Friday, I got to go to Bullet Central High School. And I got to share with the kids there. And what was awesome is it's usually just like a 10-minute huddle. They gave me 40 minutes. That's dangerous, right? <laughs> so I go through. It was, it was great. Got to share a message in there. It was cool. One of our, one of our students from our church was in there. Uh, got to, to share with him. And then Aaron Branch leads FCA ministry in this area. If you don't know Aaron, he's, he was the bass player in, a, in the Christian band Building 429. I don't know if you guys ever heard that. I used to listen to them on the radio like way back in the day. So when I met him like a couple months ago and we started working, here, I was like, oh. So I texted some people back home like, hey, I just met the bass player from Building 429. Anyway, so there's about 10 minutes left at the end of the FCA thing. I know I left 10 minutes on the table, right? And Aaron gets up, and it's the last FCA of the year for Bullet Central High School. And he looked at the kids and he said, God's going to give you opportunities this week to share with people the good news of Jesus. And he shared a heartbreaking story about a time when he was working in a hospital, and the Lord was prompting him over and over and over to share the gospel with one of his coworkers who was sick with cancer. And, and he, he kept wimping out over and over and over again. And he never shared the gospel with this man before he died. And he said he regrets it till this day. And he called upon these kids. He says, stop letting moments pass you by to share this good news. God has given you appointments in this school to go and share the gospel. I say that to you this morning, not to make you feel guilty, but to charge you up. Stop letting moments pass you by to go and share the love of Christ. The Lord wants to use you as an instrument, as a mouthpiece to speak truth into the darkness. And he works through that, that proclamation to call and bring his sheep in. You have a role to play. Will you listen again to the Lord? Our good shepherd not only pursues us, but has, this is our third point, but has positioned us in a great place. One that, that we, we did not earn or deserve, but are freely granted by God's grace. So number three, we're positioned, okay? I recognize, I realized this as I was writing the sermon, I use this word a lot, that we're positioned with Christ, but it's rich, it's beautiful. And I think talking about our positioning with Jesus is so important to our edification and our, our growth in Christ's likeness that we have changed positions through faith in Jesus. We were un once outside of the sheepfold and we've been brought into his pen or his family. We were once separated and deceived by God's enemy and the posers of this world, but now we've been positioned in the sheepfold with the good shepherd, verses seven to 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters, hear this, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, right? A change of location, of position through the work of Christ. 
Then he says this, the thief only uh, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Here's the promise of Jesus. I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Abundant life in Jesus, not just right now, but for all of eternity. Life that's really life. A fulfilling life, a purposeful life in Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd who, who pursues his sheep and frees them from the lies of this world, the posers and the counterfeits who offer life through sinful means. They say, if you do this, you're going to be happy. You're going to be fulfilled. But really those sins, those shortcomings, they only steal and kill and destroy your life. When we hear the call of Jesus and respond to his call, our position is changed. We are brought into his sheepfold where we find this. We find good pasture and an abundance of life in Christ. You have this, Christian. You've, posi- you've been positioned in this life in abundance. Practically so, embrace this position change. Stop being deceived by posers, by fakers, by counterfeits, right? The world, its system, and empty religious good deeds. And follow Christ with all your life. This occurs when we position ourselves. Now, here's our application. We position ourselves under good under shepherds is what I'll call. Who will lead, guide, and help us to grow in Christ. Be positioned under good shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd who has called men and women to lead his church, to be good under shepherds. The local church is important to your spiritual growth and abundant life. So I want to encourage you, seek out a good local church. I'm biased, but I think you found one. Place yourself under good shepherds who seek and follow after Jesus, not just some hired hand who seeks their own glory at your expense. Verse 12 and 13, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Open up the news any, any day of the week and you'll see a, a fake hired hand who got busted for something. And what does he do? He runs away. He leaves the sheep. Hear this. I I tell you this from the bottom of my heart because I work closely with these folks. Your elders, deacons, staff team, volunteer leaders love you deeply. They want to serve you. They want to see you grow in Christ-likeness. They care for you. They're not going to run away when it becomes difficult, but they're going to walk with you. Will you stick with the flock? Will you stay under these these caring under-shepherds? Will you be present in the church? Will you connect and grow and serve and give to the bride of Christ? It's so important to our spiritual growth to be positioned under good under-shepherds. Point number four, we're pardoned. We're pardoned by Jesus talks about laying down his life. This passage is saturated with gospel, what we call good news. Verse 11 and then verses 14 to 18. Listen to this repeated. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep 
that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Did you hear that? No one gets to choose to take the life of God, the life of Jesus. Jesus lays down his own life of his own will. We're not powerful enough to take the life of Jesus. Jesus says, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority, this is good news, to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Hear these words. Jesus knows you. He's pardoned you. He calls to you. It says here, he lays down his life not because anyone has the power to take it from him, because he lays it down of his own will. Jesus proves his, his, his pardon because he, he takes his life back up again. And Jesus, it says here, he's seeking out other sheep not yet in the fold. He works through you to bring pardon to them. It's the finished work of Christ we proclaim, but God wants to use you as his mouthpiece to share the gospel Again, Jesus proves his pardon because he he takes his life back up again. Nothing in this world can contain Jesus and his power. I know some of you, you're turning on the news and you're so discouraged right now. Nothing can contain the power of God. Nothing can overcome his plan. God wins. The Romans, the most powerful nation in the world, where are they at, right? They mocked and spat upon him but their worldly power was no match. The legalistic and jealous Jewish religious leaders were convinced that this nuisance, Jesus, was dealt with as he breathed his last, but little did they know, right? And the great serpent of old, the devil and his demonic minions, surely thought the victory was secure when they looked upon the blood-soaked ground, right? But Friday, we know, wasn't the end of the story, was it? They didn't realize in the death of Jesus was the great victory of the Christ. And they would only find this out as the ground trembled come the dawn of Sunday morning. The stone began to shake. The Spirit of God descended into the cold, dark tomb of death that held the body of our good shepherd. His eyes flipped open. His dilated pupils adjusted to the incoming light of day. He turned his body and planted his feet in the ground. The power of God raised Jesus, our good shepherd, from the dead. Our our pardon secure in the power and proof of God. Everything hinges on the resurrection. We lost a great pastor and leader in the Christian church this last week. Pastor Timothy Keller, pastored for for decades in Manhattan. Every sermon I ever listened to Tim Keller preach always talked about the resurrection. And he would say often these words, on, on the resurrection hinges everything. Everything rests on the resurrection. And Tim Keller is enjoying peace in the presence of Jesus right now because Jesus resurrected from the dead. If Jesus does not live, Paul says, our faith is meaningless. 
and were to be pitied above all. But because he lives, it is proven that he is truly the son of God. And in his perfection, he willingly laid down his life to secure our pardon so that we would be declared not guilty, so that we would be free to roam and graze within his sheepfold, in his pen, to walk the hills and graze on the beautiful green grass in heaven. He willingly laid down his life to secure our pardon. And he raised from the dead as our conquering king over sin and death. Friends, I beg of you, embrace the pardon of your sin through Jesus. It's our final application point. Embrace Jesus's pardon of your sin. Way back, hundreds of years before he came, the prophet Ezekiel said this in verse 27 of chapter 34. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Hear this. Embrace your pardon. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. We have this promise, this truth through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Embrace your pardon.